Thank you, Gary and Patty, for that long passage. So we'll be here for a while. We'll be looking at that passage for a while. Uh, I forgot he is risen. I didn't forget he had risen. I forgot to say he is risen. But, but he is risen indeed. That, that's a pretty uh, big deal, right? That's what we're going to see today, just how important Christ's resurrection is. On this uh, Resurrection Sunday, I'm always torn. Easter, Resurrection Sunday, Easter in the world, Resurrection Sunday here, I don't know. I'm going to call it Resurrection Sunday, 2023. Do you, like Thomas, believe in Jesus Christ? Is he your Lord and your God? Do you believe in his resurrection? And if so, how does uh, his resurrection impact your life? Or, Or does it? The historical account of Jesus' resurrection is found in all four biographies of his life, all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this morning we're going to focus on John's account that Gary and Patty read, because in chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, following the record of the resurrection that we just read, immediately after the resurrection, or eight, uh, after it was eight days later, after Christ encountered a quote-unquote, Doubting Thomas, John tells us the purpose of his gospel. Verse 30 of chapter 20. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John's purpose in writing this book, this gospel, is to cause his readers to believe, to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the, the promised Messiah King, the Son of David, the Son of God, and that by believing, they, we, might experience life in His name, that we might receive the abundant life He talks about, the eternal life that's found only in Christ. And the way John seeks to convince us That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, is by recording the signs that Jesus performed in the presence of the disciples. If you read the Gospel of John, it has a lot of these signs throughout. The signs that John himself witnessed. So this is eyewitness testimony. And the greatest and really final sign, uh, the one that would leave no doubt as to who Jesus truly was and is, is his resurrection From the dead. John saw Jesus die on the cross. He heard Jesus' final words, It is finished. And he, like Thomas and all the other disciples, uh, were devastated. But then, three days later, John witnessed the resurrection. And the resurrection changed everything. So before we look at John's account, I want us to see first the importance of the resurrection. Ask yourself this. What is Christianity without the resurrection? If the resurrection is just a a fictional sort of add-on to provide a a happy ending to an otherwise tragic story of Jesus' life, then Christianity has absolutely no meaning at all. You see, Christianity, Christianity, is based on the fact that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God, that He's God the Son that He entered our world, 
that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross offering himself as the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrificial substitute for our sins, so that those who believe in him might be saved from the righteous wrath of God and instead receive eternal life in his presence. That's the the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ in in a nutshell. But if Jesus has been dead for over 2,000 years, then he cannot be the eternal Son of God. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, he has has, uh, really no relevance to us apart from the fact that he's a somewhat interesting historical figure. However However great his teaching is, however powerful his miracles, his signs may have seemed, if the story ends in death then he's not God. If he didn't rise from the dead, then he's just another man passing through history. And therefore, he certainly has no power to give eternal life. He certainly has no power to forgive or overcome our sin. He certainly has no power to give us the the Holy Spirit, if there is even a Holy Spirit. If he's dead, he cannot be our Savior and our Lord. The Apostle Paul understood these things. He wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. The importance of Jesus' resurrection cannot be overstated. Without it, our faith, Christianity, is vanity, meaningless, pointless, purposeless. Without Jesus rising from the dead, there is certainly no point in us being here today. We can all Uh, Just go home, sleep in. Listening to some guy uh, drone on about a fairy tale on the level of uh, the Easter Bunny is not helpful. But if the resurrection took place, and I believe it did, our faith, Christianity, means everything. The resurrection proves the truth of all Jesus said and did, especially what he did on the cross through his death. So the resurrection is essential, it's crucial, it means everything to our faith. But just because something means everything doesn't mean uh, it's true. If we're going to believe, if we're going to trust in something, especially if our eternity is hanging in the balance of what we believe, then we should have a basis for that belief. Certainly, faith is involved. But in Scripture, faith is never blind. It's not a blind leap into the dark, but a step into the light. A step based on evidence. Remember, John wrote what he had seen. Therefore, his gospel, along with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as well as the rest of the New and Old Testaments, is the evidence we base our faith upon. If we're going to have, if, if we're going to have faith in or believe in Jesus' resurrection, then we should look into the evidence to see if it's convincing. That's our second point, the evidence of the resurrection. Now, now there are many books, articles written about the historical and logical evidence for the resurrection. Anybody read any of that stuff? It's good stuff. I, I've included in your notes uh, three the, if, if you have the notes, uh, the backside, the bottom, three recommendations of books. 
if you want to look for, into the further evidence, I mean, there's whole books on this stuff, so uh, we're not going to cover it all this morning. Or you can just, if you don't want to buy a book, uh, you can just Google evidence for the resurrection, and you'll find tons of stuff. Be careful, though, Googling is dangerous sometimes. But before Googling even existed, and before any articles or books on the resurrection were written, the Apostle John, in chapter 20 of his gospel, gives us two major pieces of evidence for the resurrection. So let's turn to John's eyewitness testimony, and the first piece of evidence he presents is the empty tomb. In verse 1, John begins his testimony to the resurrection. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, you guys remember Mary, She's the follower of Jesus, one of several women who uh, Jesus encountered. Jesus, uh, Luke, according to Luke, he cast seven demons out of her at one point. So Mary came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. In their, gospel, in the, in their gospels, Matthew and Luke tell us that other women were with Mary. They came early to anoint Jesus' dead body. They were certainly, they, these women, and as we'll see, the disciples, uh, were not expecting a resurrection. If you're familiar with the New Testament, the Gospels, Jesus warned them. He tried to prepare them, but they just wouldn't hear it. They were not expecting this. First, they weren't expecting his death, as we talked about last week on Palm Sunday, and they were not expecting his resurrection. John says that Mary saw the stone had been taken away. The Greek word for saw is just the ordinary word for seeing something, uh, seeing something with your eyes. And I point that out because John is going to use two other Greek words for that, that we translate. The translators translated saw in English, but they have some deeper meaning that we'll see. But here he's just reporting what happened. Mary saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And this is a huge deal for her. Because she knows that Pilate, the governor of Judea, the Roman governor of Judea, the one who had ordered Jesus' crucifixion at the request of the Jewish religious leaders, had ordered the tomb to be secured. Soldiers were sent to seal and guard the tomb. But Mary sees that the stone has been taken away. And in verse 2 we read, So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and, and we, don't, we do not know where they have taken him. The other disciple, uh, referred to throughout the, as the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, is uh, John himself. So it's John and Peter here. Now again, Mary and the other women didn't expect the tomb to be open. They certainly didn't expect the tomb to be empty. Resurrection was not on their minds at all. So Mary's first thought is not Jesus is risen from the dead. She's distressed because she thinks they, uh, apparently Jesus' enemies, have taken the Lord out of the tomb. So she runs to the disciples to give them what she thinks is this bad news. And in verse 3 we read, So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So John arrives first, apparently he was younger and in better shape than Peter, in verse 5, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Now again, the word saw is used here, 
It's the same one that Mary used. It's just talking about seeing with your eyes. This, this is what he saw. At first, John saw with his eyes that the linen tomb, excuse me, the linen uh, had, was still there. The tomb was empty, the linen was still there, but he didn't go in. Now, Peter is very different. Here he comes, huffing and puffing and be, uh, before, from behind, and in verse 6 we read, Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. Where John looked and, and didn't go in, Peter went in before he looked. John is cautious, he's checking things out, but Peter, in typical fashion, wanting to be first, rushes in without much thought. Verse 6 continues, He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Now here John uses a different word for Peter, seeing. The word saw here means not just seeing with your eyes, but looking at something carefully and critically. It's the Greek word thereo, where we get our English word theory. To go into something uh, thoughtfully, thoroughly, and to work it out for yourself. Peter goes in and doesn't just see with his eyes, but he begins to look carefully and critically, analyzing the evidence before him. So what did he find? He found an empty tomb. The body was gone. Jesus was not there. But the grave clothes were still there in a neatly ordered condition. This may seem like a minor detail, but it's, it's really important. You see, one of the main arguments against the resurrection is that someone stole the body. But if the grave clothes are still neatly in place, then the, the idea of anyone, whether it be grave robbers, the Jewish leaders, the disciples, the Romans, the idea of anyone taking the body is highly unlikely. Why is that? You see, if someone was, well, had taken the body, they wouldn't have taken time to tidy up. More than likely, they would have scattered the grave clothes across the tomb, and even more likely, really very likely, they would have removed the, wouldn't have removed the linen cloths at all. Because, remember, Jesus had been crucified. Uh, he was literally a bloody mess. And so to take the linen cloths off would have been very counterproductive. They would have just been taking a mess with them. It would have been much easier and cleaner to transport the body as it was still wrapped. So when Peter and John find the tomb empty, they consider the evidence. The text is unclear as to Peter's immediate conclusions, but in verse 8, we get uh, what John concluded. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. Here is the third Greek word for saw. This doesn't mean just seeing with your eyes or even looking at carefully and critically as with a theory. It means seeing with understanding. We use the English word see uh, in the same way. For example, if you're reading a, a murder mystery novel or watching a, a mystery thing on TV and all of a sudden you realize who the killer is, you might say, oh, now I see. The butler did it. Okay. That's the saw that John uses for himself in verse 8. Not just that I saw the body was gone, but I saw and I understood and I believed that Jesus is risen. That was the only explanation to fit the facts. And John adds in verses 9 and 10, 
For as of yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Let me just uh, pause there for a second. This is a, a little evidentiary thing. If you're reading the New Testament, the Gospels, especially around the resurrection and Jesus' crucifixion, these disciples who, if it's not true, made the story up, are the same disciples that look really bad in the story. They didn't, they didn't understand much. John admits that they, the disciples, didn't understand the Scripture. If they had, then they would have known that Jesus, so the Old Testament Scriptures talked about this, Jesus talked about this, they just didn't get it. If they, if they had, they would have known that Jesus would rise from the dead even before they saw the empty tomb. But in the tomb, John says, I saw, I understood, and I believed. He finally got it. What about you? If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you don't believe in his resurrection, then let me ask you this question. How do you explain John's testimony, his evidence for the empty tomb? Now you might be thinking, well, that's simple. Goofus, there's actually was no empty tomb. This is just a story made up by Jesus' followers, specifically Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all record it. They, along with others like Peter and Paul, who affirm it in the rest of the New Testament, conspired to devise this myth of Jesus' resurrection for the purpose of creating some kind of new religion where they're the powerful ones. That's so the argument goes. So you don't believe the evidence because you don't trust the witnesses, which is fair. Now, there are several reasons why this doesn't fit in well, though. And if you want to study it further, I'd again point you to the books at the, that I've listed at the end, the evidence of the resurrection. But there's one piece of evidence that stands out really above all for me. That is, history records outside of the the Gospels, the New Testament, that these men who wrote the events of Jesus' life, including the resurrection, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, were persecuted and killed for their faith. Paul and Peter as well. So that means they went to their graves never recanting the lie that they had devised, never telling anyone that they... Uh, we just made up the resurrection. Jesus, this Jesus guy, he had some good things to say. We wanted it to continue. We knew it wouldn't, so we just thought, if we just can convince people that he's still alive, that he's really God, then we can keep going with this. So it was just a lie that they made up. Now, and, and then they died for it. Now, certainly people will die for a lie. It happens all too often in our world. Suicide bombers blow themselves up for the lie of some eternal reward. Cult members willingly drink the proverbial Kool-Aid, believing their leader is taking them to some better world. These and many others have died for lies. But the thing is, they didn't believe they were lies when they died for them. They died believing they were true. The question is, what person would die for a lie that he knew was a lie. What's the point? What do they possibly have to gain? 15th century, they were smart in the 15th century, just so you know. 
Mathematician, physicist, inventor, philosopher, and Christian, Blaise Pascal, said about the witnesses to the resurrection, I believe the witnesses that get their throats cut. How do you explain the historical facts that the followers of this peasant carpenter's son from Nazareth, who was crucified under Pontius Pilate, These followers were transformed into men and women who were willing to preach the truth of the resurrection even if it meant their death. How do you account for these things? I believe the only thing that makes sense is that the tomb was empty and that these witnesses actually believed that Jesus rose from the dead. But the tomb being empty, maybe if that was all there was, we could say, well, maybe Maybe some unknown figure, unknown to anyone, playing a practical joke, uh, took the body away. But there's more evidence. John presents also, next piece of, major piece of evidence, uh, is the living Lord. So we have the empty tomb and now the living Lord. Eventually, so they not only saw the empty tomb, but these same guys that wrote this stuff and died for this stuff... Eventually, all of them, including John, would encounter the resurrected Jesus. Now, John focuses his account here, especially the beginning, on Mary Magdalene. The empty tomb didn't cause Mary to believe like it had John. Verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Mary's distraught because she hasn't grasped grasped the fact of the resurrection. And as she wept, She stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. Apparently, Mary didn't see anything special about these angels. As far as she was concerned, they looked like two men in white. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. Mary's still coming to terms with the fact that the tomb is empty, the body's gone, And that causes her grief for Jesus' death uh, to to grow even greater. It's not not just that he died. Now they've done something with his body. Verse 14. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Mary was so overwhelmed with grief, she didn't realize that Jesus was standing right there. So uh, Jesus is in the... I don't know how his physical appearance had changed, or Mary's just can't see through her tears. Verse 15, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Jesus comes to Mary in her pain, and he doesn't come in an overpowering way. He doesn't say, here I am, Mary. I'm risen from the dead. Also, he doesn't rebuke her for her unbelief. He doesn't say, why, why, are, you, why are you so upset? I told you this would happen. Weren't you listening? Why didn't you believe me? Instead, Jesus meets her where she is. He recognizes the great love she has for him. He knows that her sorrow and grief comes out of a deep affection for him. And then he gently, with a few questions, seeks to open her eyes and minds to the reality of her situation. Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Again, Mary's love for Jesus shines through. She isn't making a lot of sense. Why would she think the gardener took Jesus away? 
And even if he, he did, how would she then take him away? Mary's overwhelmed with grief, and she just wants to make sure Jesus' body is taken care of. That's why she had come in the first place, to anoint his body. And again, Jesus says, sees her heart and responds in love. Jesus said to her, Mary. Jesus speaks her name. The text doesn't reveal the tone, but I can imagine the love that came through Jesus' voice. Mary. That one word brings both instant recognition and instant response from Mary. And that's what we see in our third point, the response to the resurrection. Mary's response is not just to the resurrection. Jesus is risen from the dead, but now he's, he's right there before her. So she's responding to the resurrected Lord. And her first response is to believe. Verse 16. We saw this in, in, uh, in John. John believed and now in Mary. Verse 16. Jesus had spoken her name and Mary's eyes were open. She turned and said to him in Arabic, Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Rabboni really means more than teacher. The suffix ni, so it's rabbi ni, rabboni. Rabbi means teacher. The suffix ni means my, my teacher, my master. It signifies submission. It signifies reverence. With, with that one word, Mary says, I believe. She puts her trust in Jesus Christ. She says, I will submit to him. I will honor him. And it's that submission and honor that brings about eternal life. It's a real, uh, it shows her belief. The resurrected Lord, Jesus Christ, called Mary's name, and her response was belief. She believed. So what about us? What about you? Have you heard Jesus call your name? Have you encountered the living Lord? Has Jesus come to you in the midst of your pain and confusion, your problems, your difficulties? Is he calling your name this morning? Will you respond like Mary, Rabboni, my teacher, my master? Others would meet the living Lord face to face. Scripture says that Jesus remained on earth for 40 days after his resurrection. After his encounter with Mary, he then goes to the apostles, and Paul says after that, over 500 saw him risen from the grave. They saw him with their eyes, and they believed. As we read already, as Patty and Gary read, even doubting Thomas, after seeing and touching the Lord, believed. He says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. But Jesus said to Thomas, have you believed because you have seen, you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. That's a word for us today. Since the time of the apostles, those, who, uh, those, those apostles and that 500, the ones who saw him risen from the day, dead, there been, there's been an unbroken chain of witnesses right to the year 2023. Those who believe and yet haven't seen. This room contains people, including myself, who've not seen and yet believed. We've read the testimony in the pages of Scripture. We've seen the evidence. And, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we step into the light and believed. Like Mary and Thomas, we've recognized who Jesus is. 
We've said, my teacher, my master, my savior, my Lord, my God. We've had a personal encounter and entered into a relationship with the risen Jesus, the living Lord. He's entered into our lives, and we're now his witnesses. We can testify to the fact that Jesus Christ is alive. He rose from the dead. He lives in me. Now, once Mary recognizes Jesus, she has another response. Probably at the same time she's believing, she begins worshiping, to worship. There's a certain amount of worship just implied in that, in that word Rabboni. But Matthew makes it clear when he says that Mary and the other women with her, they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Mary fell at Jesus' feet in worship and held on to him. Verse 17 of John 20 reads this, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. This is one of those uh, little bit difficult passages in, in the New Testament. It, it wasn't that Jesus didn't want to be worshipped. It wasn't that his body was somehow now untouchable. Later, uh, he encourages Thomas to touch his wombs. What Jesus probably means is this. Don't, don't, do not think, Mary, that by clinging to me, you can keep me with you. The lasting relationship that you want with me must wait until I've ascended to be with my Father. Relationship, fellowship would be resumed, but it would be in a far, it would be in a different way. It would be richer and more blessed. It would be through the Holy Spirit coming to indwell her. Jesus then continues. He says to Mary, But go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus says, I'm returning to my Father. But that's good news. For He is now your Father and your God. Jesus knew that because of the crucifixion and the resurrection, a new day had come. He knew that, that when, when He ascended, He would send the Holy Spirit to live within those who had trusted in Him. We can now, through Jesus, have a, a new kind of relationship with God. A heart-to-heart, spirit-to-spirit relationship. We can worship God in spirit and in truth. God would no longer be distant There would no longer uh, need to be a priest, a go-between. The Holy of Holies, remember when Jesus uh, was crucified, the, the veil that separated the rest of the temple from the Holy of Holies where God would dwell, the veil was ripped. It's a new day. God was now to be your Father and your God. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus died. And that's why Jesus rose again. And and John wrote his gospel that we might believe and receive the one true God as our God and our Father. In chapter 1, verse 12 of, of John's gospel, he's introducing the gospel, and he writes this, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus came to make us children of God. He's the only begotten Son of God. But we can be adopted. You can be brought into the family of God by His grace. As John said in 1.12, But all who receive and believe in Him, all who come to Him in faith, will be adopted into His family. And then the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ will be your God and your Father. 
Now we have one more uh, response to cover, but before we do that, I want to stop and give everyone an opportunity to see, to understand, to believe, and worship. It may be today for the first time you're hearing Jesus call your name. For the first time, you're seeing the truth of who He is. You're believing. You're trusting in Him. Or if you've believed for many, for, for many years, I want to give you an opportunity right now to, to respond, to cry out in your heart to Jesus, to fall at His feet, to worship, saying, Rabboni, my teacher, my master, my savior, my Lord. So in this moment, I'd like to ask us just to pause and pray. And if you believe, if you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your Master, your God, if you trust in Him as the one who died for your sins, who died in your place on the cross, who rose from the dead, then I invite you to confirm that in your heart. And in your own words, in silent prayer, to give yourself fully to Christ, to worship and honor Him for who He is and what He's done for you. And prayer, uh, if you're not used to it, is just talking to God. So just take a a moment to silently speak to Him. And after that moment, I'll I'll, I'll close that prayer.